this series was independently funded, so you could gain insight into how the media operates. Journalists rarely report on their own practices. If you're interested in hearing more from others under the spotlight, you can help by making a one-off contribution. Just click on the link in the show notes. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. One kilometer underground, buried beneath tons of rock, and no way of knowing if they're dead or alive. I am a believer today. What a remarkable scene here in Beaconsfield. They are on the surface, they're hugging their families. This is absolutely incredible. Small town miners Todd Russell and Brant Webb rose 925 metres from the deadly dark depths of a mine and into the glare of the world's media. The tragedy of one life lost in the 2006 rockfall was also a tale of Australian courage and mateship, as two others were saved. This is not just a story that's captured the imagination of Beaconsfield, of Tasmania, of Australia, but of the world. When their 14-day struggle for survival was over, the miners felt the weight of media competition for interviews. Todd was relentlessly pursued by a shrewd industry that plucks unknowns from obscurity. His image and insights could feed our fascination with adversity and the strength of the human spirit. There's just no privacy, you know, you had them camping across the road, you had them camping up on the hill with them big telescopic lenses and stuff that they've got, taking photos, just trying to get an exclusive photo so they had something to put in the paper. And, you know, I thought that was quite rude and when you're trying to spend time with the family because you've been away from them for 14 days and, and the thought of losing them, all you wanted to do is be with them. Todd is an ordinary Australian who faced an extraordinary event that was devastatingly traumatic and highly newsworthy. Attempts to escape the spotlight led to a wrestle with the media for control. There were financial offers for a first-hand account and opportunities for Todd to meet his idols. Unexpected fame also came at a personal price, frustration at the loss of anonymity and fear about the impact on his family. I'm Fiona Reynolds. As a journalist and former media executive, I've turned trauma into news and survivors like Todd into celebrities. Although he still prefers to think of himself as a normal country boy. Yeah, I wouldn't say we're a celebrity and in a way I wouldn't say we're a saleable item, you know. The way I see it, we're just two very lucky men that um, went through a, an ordeal together and survived it and come home to our family. Todd doesn't hold back though when describing the tricks of a competitive trade, the betrayals of truth and trust as his private life came under public scrutiny. This is the inside story on what it's like to become an accidental celebrity. Episode 5 The Great Escape.
When gold miners Todd Russell, Brant Webb and Larry Knight clocked on for a night shift underground, they were ordinary family men leading everyday lives. It was the 25th of April 2006 and many of Beaconsfield's 1,200 residents had just marked Anzac Day, remembering Australians and New Zealanders who served and died in war. The Anzacs stood for endurance, courage, ingenuity, good humour and mateship, a spirit that would soon be evoked as the small community witnessed one of the biggest mine rescue missions in Australia's history. At 9.26pm, a seismic event triggered an underground rockfall. Two enormous bangs and one of the mine tunnels collapsed. Not everyone made it out. News of the disaster spread from the southern state of Tasmania to the nation by morning, leading bulletins and newspapers. There are growing fears for the three gold miners who have now been missing underground for more than 12 hours. One kilometre down with hope fading fast. Larry Knight was already dead. The quiet 44-year-old motorbike rider, who lived 40 kilometres from Beaconsfield in the city of Launceston, was killed in the initial rockfall. Todd Russell and Brant Webb were fighting for their lives, buried under rubble in a steel basket on the arm of a forklift-type machine called a telehandler, driven by Larry. Brant was momentarily knocked out, regaining consciousness to hear Todd struggling for breath. The men summoned all of their strength, shifting enough rock to uncover their bodies and find a pocket of air. Above ground, the miners' families and Beaconsfield businesses were receiving constant calls from reporters across the country who were trying to sketch out profiles of the men. Brant Webb was a 37-year-old father of two, a boating and fishing enthusiast who loved a joke. Todd Russell was 34 years old with three children, an avid hunter and rugged full forward in Australian rules football. There was an echo in the way newspapers in a sport-loving nation described Todd. Respected footballer. Keen footballer. Top bloke, player. Top player. When Larry's body was discovered on day two, the odds of survival seemed against Todd and Brandt. To everyone, perhaps, except those in the close-knit community who held vigil. Carolyn Russell always believed Trent, Madison and Liam would see their father again. Rachel Webb, with twins Zachary and Zoe, also refused to give up hope. Rescuers began blasting a new tunnel on day four, unknowingly dislodging rock inside the basket. The next evening, the 30th of April 2006, two of the crew breached safety protocols by entering Todd and Brant's level, 925 metres below the surface. At about 5.45pm, they heard cries for help. After five days trapped underground, sustained only by groundwater and part of a muesli bar, the miners yelled, 
Miracle, trapped miners found alive. Alive, miracle at 925 metres. They're alive. For the next nine days, as rescuers worked around the clock to free Todd and Brandt, the media presence in Beaconsfield ballooned and the coverage intensified to saturation point. The Sydney Morning Herald and Age newspapers observed... A shanty town of media campervans inflated the town's population by 10% and residents are getting used to reporters wandering the streets looking for someone to interview or a TV host standing alone in a park rehearsing a report. One long-time resident, who gave his name as Badger, said he'd been interviewed three times. Reporters are paid to get the story and audiences only occasionally witness the media pack in action through the lens of a television or stills camera if editors consider it might attract interest. The Beaconsfield disaster coverage provided snippets of insight, ironically for want of something to report during the long rescue operation. One television network source was quoted as saying it would be the hottest story of the year, with the men expected to join the rare few high-profile news figures to be paid a six-figure sum to recount their experience, assuming, of course, they survived. Headline writers had plenty of fodder to work with as the world waited in anticipation for the miners to surface. Media Circus comes digging for gold. A minefield for TV networks. Some of the Australian news media's biggest names flew in, among them television veteran Richard Carlton. The Nine Network journalist sadly and unexpectedly collapsed from a heart attack in front of colleagues at a press conference with the mine manager and died. Media updates on the rescue were interspersed with tributes to Carlton as the chase for the miners' story continued. Nine reportedly approached the miners' families but couldn't begin negotiations because no one was ready to do a deal although some of Australia's best-known agents were also circling. Among them was Harry M. Miller, who already represented Lindy Chamberlain-Creighton and Stuart Diver, both internationally recognisable through a high-profile news event. Todd Russell was an accidental celebrity without even knowing it. You're only as good as the next story that comes along. And, but, you know, we, both Brant and myself, we didn't, you know didn't really understand that the media tendency was there. You know, I said to him at one stage, direct, we made the local newspaper, you know, which is the examiner. You know, we didn't expect it to be a worldwide thing like it was and have, you know, the attention that was there, you know. Even though it was still underground, there was only a small amount of information given to us on what the media tendency was like. It wasn't until we, you know, we resurfaced that we knew what a circus it was. The world watched in amazement. At 5.59am on the 9th of May 2006, as Todd and Brandt walked unassisted from the elevator cage that carried them out of the mine oh. shaft. You can hear the crowd cheering now. Arms raised in triumph, punching the air victoriously. There it is. They're back. Oh my goodness. The miners snatched their name tags off a board that recorded them underground. Oh, they're going to clock off, aren't they? And hugged their elated families. Oh. The Great Escape, as it became known, was broadcast live from Beaconsfield by a wall of cameras and microphones. It just gives you chills, doesn't it? We knew that there was going to be a couple of cameras, you know, filming from the platform at the museum when we did come out. But, you know, they had that tarp and everything set up around it so that we had the privacy when we come out to the family. And, 
you know, and then when they dropped the the, uh, the tarp and all them people there and, you know, the cheer and everything, you know, it was just overwhelming. But, you know, and as you're driving out, you're seeing all the Winnebago's and that parked around and you realise then that, you know, this is this is not just your normal everyday media contingency, it's a, it's a worldwide thing. Todd spotted in the crowd two of his favourite Australian media personalities, David Kosh and Melissa Doyle from the Seven Network's Sunrise program. He often watched the show to unwind after a night shift. While trapped, the miner learnt Kosh was among those covering his rescue and asked a paramedic to deliver this message. Make sure that fat bastard's there when I get out. And that was the words that were passed on to him by Peter James. And then when we were driving out with the ambulance door open, I was seeing David and Mel standing there, so I asked that the ambulance stop. And I actually invited David into the ambulance. Mate, you took your time. Hey, How are you? Good, Good to mate. see you. Look, Todd, we'll have a beer, big fella. We'll, ca- we'll catch up and have a beer. Thanks, Koshy. Okay. Thanks, Mel. Kosh seemed overwhelmed when Todd offered a memento, one of his name tags, saying he wouldn't need it again. The television personality was later branded an ambulance jumper by rival media outlets, purporting to expose him for his bad behaviour rather than conceding they were miffed to be trumped by star power. This was the first media contact with one of the miners and a coup for the Seven Network, although the brief encounter couldn't really be considered an interview. To be honest with you, I, I had no thought of talking to the media. Um, all I wanted to do was go to the hospital, you know, have my checks and find out what was wrong and whether there was anything seriously wrong and, and just spend quality time with the family, you know. And then, you know, down the track there was there was going to be an opportunity where we had our chance to talk to the media, but, you know, until I was ready to talk to the media, I, I had no intentions of talking to them. Todd had suffered leg and back injuries, but was released from hospital after a few hours to attend Larry Knight's funeral. Later, on that first night of freedom, he headed from home to the local pub to shake hands with those who risked their lives to save his. Todd didn't expect to find Beaconsfield's club hotel swarming with news crews. So he and a policeman friend created a diversion. You know, we, we did a drive-by and told them that I was going to be down at the hall to talk to all media for an interview in, in 20 minutes. So they all packed up and went to the went to the hall and I went to the pub and had a beer with the boys and didn't even go to the, the conference. So they all sat up there and they're waiting for a press release conference type thing and I didn't even turn up. The Nine Network's then CEO and personality Eddie Maguire was either awake to the plan or had his eyes firmly fixed on the prize. They wanted the exclusive story and... You know, when I walked into the pub, Eddie Maguire, you know, all he wanted to do was put beer in my hand and become my best friend and, you know, try and get the upper edge over Channel 7, I suppose, because, you know, when it come down to the come down to the final, you know, thing, it was either Channel 7 or Channel 9 that, you know, were in the in the running for it. But, you know, he's a he's a typical businessman, Eddie Maguire, so he's uh, he's pretty shrewd. You know, I didn't I didn't spend a lot of time with Eddie, but the day after or whatever it was, it might have been the day after that that, you know, he came to home and, you know, tried his um his charming tactics and, and whatnot. Initially, Todd and Brandt only agreed to appear for free on Nine's The Footy Show, hosted by Maguire. It was an opportunity to publicly thank everyone who helped with The Great Escape, crossing live from a benefit concert at the Beaconsfield Community Hall two days after they were freed. Todd, I've got to ask you, though, a question about uh, what it was like down in that mine. Listen, mate, tell me how big your checkbook is and we'll talk. Very cool. 
Todd now reveals the cheeky retort was scripted. Well, the reason that was said is because Eddie McGuire told me to say it. Oh, did he? Yes. It wasn't a phrase that I came up with. I don't know, you thought it was funny at the time, I suppose. Most of it was all pre, pre-organised. He helped us out with our speeches and all that type of thing. The checkbook reference could have been an intended warning shot from Nine to rival networks, which were still vying for the exclusive. But it was Todd who felt the impact of personally outing the practice. There were no surveys capturing public opinion, just criticism and questions from commentators about who was more deserving, the miners or their rescuers, likely drummed up by newspapers that were out of the running. Good luck to the survivors. I hope they make a pile selling their amazing story. But am I alone in thinking such crude, brazen comments devalue both the rescue effort and the miners' tales? No one likes to hear about people being greedy. People like to see victims, but these two don't seem like victims. While it's common for reporters to highlight and even sneer at the potential for a trauma survivor to be paid, Let's not forget checkbook journalism is driven by media bosses. Securing the story is more important than the way it was obtained, as long as there's a likely return on investment. A person's story is simply a commodity, as the Australian newspaper explained. Russell and Webb have been sucked into the media bidding war that, on the face of it, may just be about telling their tale to a fascinated nation. But for the networks and their magazine and online stables, the miners represent eyeballs and numbers on a ledger. It's easy to be cynical, but the cold facts are that the networks and magazines want to maximise their revenue, and the story of Russell and Webb is a revenue driver. Of course, anyone has the right to refuse an interview, but the media count on it only being a question of when and how a survivor will open up about their traumatic experience, not if. Apply plenty of pressure and most people will relent, believing they have no choice. Four days after the rescue, Todd was followed by television cameras while attending a local football game with his family. He demanded to be shown respect and left at half time, asking police to block the gate to avoid being followed. As hard as it is, you know, you're just trying to walk normally with your family or by yourself and you got click, 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 click all bloody day, you know. Everywhere you go, it's a bit hard, but, you know, eventually you're going to lose your cool. If Mr Russell sought normality, he found fame instead. From miracle man to reluctant celebrity. Frustration at anonymity lost forever. The message from the press to Todd and other survivors is that you can be traumatised and not seek public recognition, but when it's thrust upon you, you'll be expected to willingly abandon your privacy. I found it you know, very frustrating and I got very angry, so I couldn't actually deal with the media, you know, because I got to a stage where I was frightened that if the wrong thing was said or done, I was going to hurt somebody. Uh, the last thing I wanted is, is to be seen, you know, a photo taken me punching a... Uh, reporter or something like that, it doesn't look good and, you know, um, I just didn't want that. You know, obviously we didn't realise that we were suffering from post-traumatic stress at the time, but it, it affects people differently. And it, it, it affected me in a way that, you know, I got angry um, because of what happened and, you know, we lost a good friend. On the day of Todd's clash with the media at the football, he and Brand hired Sean Anderson from 22, a Sydney-based talent agency that represents Kosh. 
The miners had come to the realisation that they couldn't personally deal with media attention and needed to protect their families from further intrusion. The representation continued for a few years. In hindsight, Todd wishes an agent was ready to take control as soon as he surfaced. Oh, look, I think the best thing that we ever did is, um, is that we signed a manager. Once we signed a manager, people in the media circus didn't really come and bother us because everything then had to go through our manager. So by having Sean as our manager, it, it deterred him from coming to us and then, you know, they, everything had to go through him, even though, even though you still had the odd one or two, you know, sneaking around the corner and, you know, sitting down the main street of Beaconsfield just waiting for you to go and pick your mail up or go and get a newspaper and just so they can get a photo of you walking down the street, you know. It was getting bigger than being hurt and then there, then there was talk on this... Um, TV exclusive and all this sort of thing and you know there was there was money and and stuff like this being thrown around and you know the last thing we wanted to do was be dealing with contracts and negotiations and all that sort of thing so it was easier for us to just put it in someone else's hand he made the phone call to us this is what we want to be doing and everything was taken away from us so it just made our lives so much easier here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Todd Russell and Brant Webb eventually signed the biggest exclusive deal in the country's history. The now defunct media company Publishing and Broadcasting Limited reportedly offered $2.6 million for interviews with three of its magazines and the Nine Network. Todd makes no apology for being paid to interrupt his recovery from a life-threatening ordeal, particularly when the media outlets were going to make money from his story. Three million Australians waited almost two weeks to watch a two-hour Great Escape television special with a current affair host, Tracy Grimshaw. Audiences were still interested in how Todd and Brad survived the rockfall and returned to their families. I shut my eyes and and I uh, just imagine, I could just see the, the picture of the wife and the three children and uh, I said to myself... I'm not dying here. The contract prevented the miners from speaking with any other media organisation for 12 months. Todd hoped that would send a signal to the hounding hordes that he was off limits. One-on-one interviews were also a far less daunting prospect than facing a press pack. He felt at some point he'd need to share his story anyway, if for no other reason than to set the record straight about what happened underground. We wanted to get the true story out and you know we answered each question that was asked of us by Tracy you know we gave it to her as it was 100% you know it was absolutely fantastic you know she knew the questions that she needed to ask to you know get the emotional side out of us but she also asked the questions to that you know the public needed to hear as well. The deal gave the miners the ability to check the stories for accuracy before they were published or broadcast. 
Todd was disappointed when he discovered that throughout media coverage of the rescue, the public was told he and Brandt could stand up in the basket and move around beneath a slab of rock. In fact, they were crammed together under a precarious layer of jagged stones. I suppose the impact was frustration because we know what went on, but you you people are being misled of what was going on. And that was a frustration because people come up and say, oh, you know, da-da-da-da-da. No, 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 no. Don't know what you're on about, mate. That never happened. This is how it was. You know, and that's why telling our story with Channel 9, we, tro- we, you know, we told it with, with the truth so that people got the right side of the story. And I think by doing that, it, it actually showed a lot of people exactly what the media is like by the way they mislead certain stories. You know, whether they believe us or whether they believe the media, but I know who I'd believe. The full version of events was then shared in the book Bad Ground Inside the Beaconsfield Mine Rescue, written with journalist Tony Wright. It's again, he's getting the true story out there because of the betrayal of the media over the journey. You know, what's written in that book is, is, you know, 98% correct. Todd can see how reporting of the event became twisted. Newspaper columns, broadcast bulletins and online sites were filled with information pieced together from locals and people within the mining industry. Some of those quoted weren't even at the site. Todd holds the media ultimately responsible. You probably would have expected to trust a lot of them, uh, but unfortunately, like throughout the incident, you had so many people talking um, to different media networks and everybody's saying different parts and by the end of it, you know, a lot of the stuff that was written wasn't true. You know, obviously they've got to sell, they've got to sell newspapers, so they've got to put something in the newspapers. You know, they couldn't wait until we come out to get the, the true facts. If they had to just concentrated with, you know, just say management or something like that to try and get a story. But, you know, I understand that management weren't talking that much, so they had to try and get stories from wherever they could. And, you know, one person says something and another person says something else. By the end of it, you're married to the Queen, you know. Or, as one writer for the Sydney Morning Herald newspaper warned a week after the rescue, before Todd and Brandt had spoken, This tabloid tackiness is only going to get worse. Look out for Webb's third cousin's hairdresser's next-door neighbour selling her story of how Webb and Russell were experimented on by the aliens who live at the bottom of the mine. But it's funny how... Todd shakes his head as he remembers what it was like to be surrounded by fake friends in the middle of a feeding frenzy. As far as I'm concerned, then people, you know, they weren't my friend back then, but now that I'm who I am, they're telling everybody they're mates with me. One guy in particular, you're like, all we did was fight, 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 fight. And then he goes and does an interview on TV, oh, yeah, Todd's me mate, you know, rah, 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 with this and with that. Don't pretend you're my friend now that something's happened to me and I've got a bit of profile. Todd and Brandt may have expected life to return to normal when the euphoria eased, but their survival was the stuff of legend. The miners and their wives were flown to New York for a 10-minute interview on Good Morning America with host Diane Sawyer, watched by an estimated 5.2 million people. Foo Fighters wrote an instrumental tribute, Ballad of the Beaconsfield Miners, after the American rockers heard Brand had an iPod with their tracks sent down a pipe with food and water. Todd and Carolyn, Brandt and Rachel, provided backing vocals for 321, a recording by Australian rock band Unitopia. 321 hours. 
inside the earth. 321 hours before we'd see the sun again. 321 hours and every minute lasts a lifetime. 321 hours. The song was launched in Beaconsfield at community events marking the first anniversary of the rescue. I was there among the reporters, hovering as Todd and Brandt presented those they called the real heroes with a great escape belt buckle as a thank you. I hope they enjoyed as much as uh, what we're enjoying life now. The ongoing attention and trauma was starting to take its toll though. Unfortunately, because of our commitments and stuff after, you know, like the first 12 months, the kids hardly see me. And, um, you know, the thought that they were going to lose me the first time, you know, was hard enough. They just wanted to spend time with me and, you know, they they see me as dad. And, um, you know, when they seen the attention from, you know, everybody else, they just couldn't handle that. You know, just, oh, he's only dad, you know, they don't see the, the other side of it. Becoming well-known presented these ordinary people with opportunities they never thought possible. Todd was invited to be assistant coach one year and play the next year in a nationally televised Australian Rules football charity event the E.J. Witten Legends game between retired AFL players and other celebrities. Here's Todd. Oh, he's got, oh, he's got him! Oh. Todd Russell! Brandt was invited for a beer with Foo Fighters frontman Dave Grohl. Todd sang on stage with his idol, American country music great Kenny Rogers. The miner belted out Rogers' hit tune The Gambler while stuck underground and is now the proud owner of a signed T-shirt. Too Todd, you're the best duet partner I've ever had, your friend Kenny Rogers. Yep, no, he's, he's a brilliant guy. Todd speaks as if starstruck. At the same time, he acknowledges fame is fabricated. This world's a funny, funny, funny place. You know, you look at these celebrities where people attempt to kidnap their kids for ransom and all that sort of thing. And, you know, all that sort of thing goes through your mind when your kids are put in the spotlight like that. And, you know, we're just... Average Joe people that live in a country town. Here is a man who found himself uncomfortably straddling two worlds. He doesn't like to be regarded as a celebrity, but that's how he's been treated. A celebrity is anyone the media determines is newsworthy and deserving of public recognition. In Todd's case, Reporters created a high-profile news event, delved into the private lives of those who survived, and transformed them into public figures. Trauma survivors became accidental celebrities. It was such a big thing for, you know, for 14 days. Everybody lived it. It was in their living room 24-7, so, you know, they feel a part of it. And, you know, as much as it's a pain in the backside to stop and talk to every person, you know, like, uh, you just got to do it. But it just got to the stage where I just... I just walk down the street and I don't look sideways and I just got used to it in the end and just, you know, even now, you know, people, they're looking at you and staring at you and then talking about you and it's no different to a to an AFL footballer or an Australian cricketer or anything like that, you know. They're, they're recognised because of who they are. I wondered how much of Todd's old life he'd managed to retain and how much had changed. He vowed never to go back working underground and never has, but he still considers Beaconsfield home. In the community where he was raised and almost lost his life, he's no celebrity, 
at least not to those who know him personally as a local instead of the miracle survivor. Strangers are the only ones who pay special attention. Some mates and I went to Melbourne for a weekend and we were sitting in a pub in Mickleham and uh, having a feed and this guy was quite uh, intoxicated and uh, he walked past and he came back and he said, I oh, don't mean to be rude, my friend, but he said, are you that guy from the mine? And he was with another bunch of guys that were really intoxicated too. And in my defence, I just turned around and said, I've got, I said, I think you've got me mixed up with somebody else. I didn't do it to be rude, but I knew that as soon as I said yes, that I'm going to have 10 intoxicated guys hanging around me. And I just wasn't in the mood for it. You know, I just wanted to have a good time, a couple of beers and a feed with my mates and then go back to our room. How special did you feel or have you felt? Oh, look, you know, at times it's been overwhelming, um, the response that you get from people. And on the other hand, you know, like at times you don't want to be recognised. And, you know, when when you're recognised for doing the right thing, it's, it's good. But when you're recognised for doing the wrong thing, and that's the trouble with being such a... I don't know, probably high-profile person, is that you've got to be on the top of your game 100% because as soon as you're seen doing something wrong and someone, you know, catches it on a telephone or something like that, they they think, well, we can make some money out of this. And then, you know, they go and sell it to a network and the next thing you know, you're back in the spotlight again for all the wrong reasons. And that's my fear. At the height of their celebrity status, the miners tried to turn their profile into a positive by raising money for their community and children's charities. They donated some of the proceeds from their book to establish the Russell Webb Legacy, a foundation supporting young people affected by the disaster. Through their connections with television personalities, they secured auction items for fundraisers. The media have their good sides and they have their bad sides. While you're cooperative with the media, they're your best friend. As soon as you decline to do anything for the media, you're the worst enemy. Todd has been repeatedly drawn back into the spotlight. In 2010, almost four and a half years after the Beaconsfield Gold Mine rescue, 33 men were winched to safety following 69 days trapped 600 metres beneath the surface of the San Jose Gold and Copper Mine in northern Chile. Todd and Brand were enticed to appear on the Nine Network in Australia as footage of the rescue aired. Todd spoke of the need for the Chilean miners to receive counselling. The next month, reporters again turned to Todd and Brandt for comment when a methane explosion at the Pike River coal mine in New Zealand trapped 29 workers underground. This time, the Tasmanians kept a lower profile, only quoted in a local newspaper offering their best wishes to the rescuers and families of those missing. All we wanted to do was, you know... You know, have a, have our life back, move on, spend as much time as you can with the family and enjoy life. But unfortunately, like, whenever there's a mining accident anywhere in Australia or overseas, you know, you've got the media ringing you, asking you what, you know, their thoughts are, like you're an expert on what's going on. Every scenario is different. Ours is different to the Chileans. And the Chilean one was different to the, the one in New Zealand. Even if Todd were to shun public appearances, he can't envisage a time when no one knows who he is outside his family, friends and community. Every now and again there'll be an article in the paper and your photo will be in there or, 
you know, like you go back to when mum passed away and I appreciate everything that the examiner done, you know, they they put a little article in the paper and Russell loses her fight with illness or something like that and, you know, it goes through and it says, you know, the mother of beaten to a mind survivor, Todd Russell and all this sort of stuff. There's, there's little things, so you're never ever going to become anonymous again. He will always be the Beaconsfield mind survivor, constantly reminded of a traumatic experience while slowly trying to gain control of his life and his story. Memories of the disaster and coverage flooded back when Todd was contacted by the producers of a 2012 dramatisation of the rescue for the Nine Network, simply titled Beaconsfield. They asked for our input and they said, you know, if we don't use your input, we're going to use the media's coverage to cover the story and make the movie from the media side of it, which, you know, it, it waved a red flag to me because throughout the journey, it's it's never been 100% correct. And the last thing we wanted to do is see a telly movie to come out that wasn't right. And to be able to spend time and the amount of time that we did with the producers and working behind the scenes with the actors and, and, and the staff was... You know, it was amazing. As, as hard as it was for us to uh, relive all that again, and, you know, like for me, I was I was there when they were, they were shooting the behind the scenes on home, the home side of it, which I, you know, Carol and I had never spoken about. And um, seeing their reenactment of it was just, you know, it was very hard. I had to leave, you know. I went and sat by myself and shed a few tears and, you know, I had to recompose myself before I went back. It's a side of Todd Russell that he's rarely shared publicly. The big man with the goatee beard didn't want to be seen as a hero, but he also couldn't let go of the tough Aussie male veneer. You know, for the people that know me personally, you know, they, they know my, you know, they obviously know my strengths and, and, and where I come from, but, you know, the last thing I wanted to do is, is, is be, is be seen as a sook and, you know, um, crying and, and stuff like that. But, you know, what people don't see behind closed doors is completely different. You know, they might, they might see me as a heartless person that doesn't show emotions and all that, but, you know, what goes on behind doors is, is completely different to what you see in the public eye. Do you think that how you've been portrayed is actually different from how you are? Because are there two Todd Russells? It definitely is, you know, like, you know, as, as mum, mum used to say, you know, um, oh, we've got a good toddles today. And then the other days I'll be cranky and shitty and she'd say, oh, we've got a bad toddles today. It was up to two years before Todd accepted counselling to help make sense of what happened, the trauma he was experiencing and the impact of that on everyone around him. He takes responsibility for trying to deal with it alone, but feels news crews often failed to take into account what he'd been through when judging his behaviour. If Todd could go back and give news editors and managers a word of advice, it would be blunt. Come and live with me. Come and live with me for a month and see how you, you know, see whether they can put up with the way I am. You know, through the stresses and and uh, of the media, and you know the mood swings that I have back then. You know, if they had to live with me like Carol and the kids did, they'd understand why they should, you know, treat and respect people and honour their privacy. By the 10th anniversary in 2016, 
Todd and Carolyn spoke in an exclusive interview with the Nine Network's 60 Minutes program about how he returned from underground a changed man. The person I became um, after being stuck underground was, was, was a monster. The mental injuries turned out to be as bad, if not worse, than the physical. A year later, the couple announced on the Nine Network's A Current Affair program that they'd separated, with Todd conceding it wasn't a happy marriage before the rockfall. He'd made a lot of mistakes. Yeah, but I could, be, I could be a good father, I could be a good husband, but it was, it was never a consistent thing. It was, you know... Audience members took to social networks, questioning why the Russells' private lives were anyone's business. How was this newsworthy? The answer is, the media helped create their high profile, ensured they remained accidental celebrities, and decided the public would therefore still be interested in their personal pain, enough to watch. Away from the media, out of the public eye, Todd is trying to focus on the future, determined to build a healthy and happy life. He and Brant Webb aren't in contact. They depended on each other for survival, but had nothing else in common before or after the Beaconsfield mine rockfall. Todd Russell understands their names will always be linked and only hopes Larry Knight is never forgotten. One thing he has always wished he could change is one thing he can't. Clocking on for a night shift underground in 2006. Obviously back then I wasn't the person that I am now, so I was just a country boy playing football. Next time, unbelievable horror. The face of family violence. Old son at cricket practice. Rosie Batty suffered years of family violence in anonymity until 2014, when her ex-partner killed their 11-year-old son Luke in a horrific attack at the local cricket ground. Suddenly, she found herself in the spotlight while deeply traumatized. News crews parked outside Rosie's home waiting to make an ordinary mother's private grief public. When she let the media into her life, she entered the hearts of Australians and galvanised support for a national campaign. Rosie has no regrets about participating in coverage and learning to play the game. She chose to use her high profile, turning a personal tragedy into a powerful catalyst for change. I'm doing this for the women and children who are being murdered. That's why I do it. From a single mum to Australian of the Year, Rosie Batty knows what it's like to become an accidental celebrity. The Accidental Celebrity series is researched, written and produced by me, Fiona Reynolds. Sound design, Term 6 Podcast Productions. Graphics, Cheeky Turtle Productions. Editorial and production support, Sally Eels, Paula Donovan, Sue Bell and Graham Maddy. The term accidental celebrity was coined by leading Australian academics Graham Turner, Francis Bonner and David Marshall.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.